Millennials are achieving freedom with a new definition of success. Our careers, relationships, education, and even our politics look nothing like our parents. We are repapering the roadmap towards our personal goals and embracing what moves us along the way. We are adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there. I'm Heather Bonaparte. I'm Douglas Bonaparte, and welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Each week, Douglas and I explore the news and topics that keep us awake. We'll also invite guests to share the way they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation. Not ready for bed? Tune in, because neither are we. Learn more and subscribe today at WeShouldBeSleeping.com. Welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. This is mini episode J. I'm Heather Bonaparte, joined here by my dashing husband, Douglas Bonaparte. Douglas? I think this is the first time you've introed the show in all 10 mini episodes. What can I say? You're the face of the relationship. I try and just let you do your thing. Well, I appreciate that. I can't believe we've done 10 of these. 10 mini eps. We really dragged our foot on the last one here, didn't we? It's been a tough few weeks. Hazel just started camp, which was a whole emotional roller coaster in and of itself. We used the opportunity to really catch up on work, try and get our lives together. But it was a success. Huge success. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, it's been great. It's not like we've been underwater. I mean, I'm very thankful for the last couple of weeks where we've been able to catch up on other elements of our lives. But this kind of fell by the wayside. So We apologize for the slight delay. Sorry, guys. But speaking of things that we've been doing. (laughs) Speaking of life and things and it. Speaking of stuff. Well, one thing I wanted to get into, and let's make it our first topic here, is things have kind of been opened up for a little while now, at least here in the state of New Jersey and in our town. And we've been driving through our downtown area. And what do we see? We see people dining out. And by the way, my mother, bless her soul, who comes here every week and spend some time with the girls every time she's here says to us don't you think maybe you and Doug want to go out to dinner do you guys want to get out for a little bit looks like very nice downtown again I want to acknowledge that your voice for other people has remained consistent throughout the show it is what it is okay so yeah your mom does say hey do you guys want to go out to which I always and consistently answer no 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 we do not And what's interesting is Heather and I consider ourselves foodies. We love food. We like checking out new restaurants. We love everything about it. And we're truly products of New York City where you get spoiled rotten when it comes to food. I mean, if you engage us on this topic, we could tell you, I mean, let me just say this. When I was giving birth to our first child, I was busy lecturing the doctor about Frito pie in Austin. Like Doug and I are so passionate about food and about talking about food it's and everything eats. we've eaten that like <laughs> we could go on. It made so its way would, into the so, delivery room. So you would think that we are like, great, the restaurants are open. Let's hit it. Yeah. And as much as we're grateful that New Jersey in our area has been offering outdoor dining for right, like shout, shout out to them for doing such a great job. It's really cool that they're offering this and people who want to do it. But for me, as much as we can now change out of our athleisure wear and put on a pair of jeans and are going out tops. I have tops. Tops. I don't think it's worth it. And it's not because of COVID. It's not because I'm like scared that someone's COVID molecules are going to get on me. I'm actually okay with the health risk. For me, it's about ruining 
an experience I love and kind of feeling bad. Many writers have touched on this over the last several months about what the dining out experience is right now. And it's just like super intense. I guess we just really don't want to sully our experience at a lot of these places that we really love and we've had really great memories at and that we go to to enjoy, especially locally, because honestly, slim pickings compared to when we lived in New York. Like we've got a few of our favorite restaurants, but we still pick up from them all the time. So it's not about not wanting to support our local businesses. We support our local businesses and I will be the first to post about the wonderful meal that we picked up from XYZ. But what about the part where I just feel bad? It's become this intense experience. And like, I feel terrible for the servers. Like the owners? It, has anybody seen that picture? Oh, God, I forget where it was, where it was like the server at a fine dining establishment in Manhattan was like wearing a shield, gloves, a mask, and like something else. And they're like, if this is what you have to do to eat at a Michelin star restaurant, do you really need to be there? The impression it's going to leave. And it, look, I drove by one spot the other day and it started to rain. And what I saw were waiters running outside with umbrellas. Some people were spazzing out. It was a complete mess. And kind of ironically, I saw one couple just sit there in the rain, continuing to enjoy the glasses of wine as water droplets diluted what appeared to be a buttery Chardonnay. (laughs) I mean, we've all seen a couple of those videos of people just living their best like brunch life. They're like, I don't care. I haven't had my lemon ricotta pancakes in seven months and I'm going to enjoy it. But like, honestly, I guess at the end of the day, we're saying there are ways to support the restaurants, but serving at this limited capacity, like especially in our town, you've got like seven tables outside for the whole night of dinner service. I mean, like for us, I'm just not there yet. I've got a birthday coming up this week. And when somebody says to me, happy birthday, thanks. But when somebody says to me, What's the first thing you want to do? I'm not like, you know what I want to do? Go out to my favorite restaurant and sit on the curb downtown. Okay. It's just not what I'm trying to do. The point is, I feel generally happy for people who've been dying to have this experience, and I hope you're living your best restaurant life. But nah, for us, just ain't it. Trust me. When the day comes that we are allowed to do this again in a safe manner and gather in the way that the restaurant intended us to gather, Douglas and I will be the first ones there. I can guarantee you that. Or we'll be just really deliberate about where we're going to do this experience and like set our expectations very accordingly. Exactly. What else you got for us on the show today? Speaking of giving birth, this is something I found very interesting. And the first time I noticed an article on this was in the New York Times several weeks ago. But since then... It's been discussed in Bloomberg and perhaps a couple other places. Premature births have gone down substantially, according to reports around the world. As people around the world are told to stay home, doctors in various neonatal ICUs noticed that premature births were falling drastically. Why? There's been speculation about lockdown procedures that would cause this result, but also What's really interesting is that, I mean, yeah, it's a little anecdotal at this point in time. Nobody's really been focusing their studies on this because I think the entire world is caught up on how to fight and treat COVID and try and help us get past this difficult time that we're in. But long term, I think that they're saying that doctors are receiving insight on some causes of premature birth that might be circumstantial or environmental. So take, for example, in Denmark, the article in the New York Times mentioned, In a data set of 31,000 infants, the rate of babies born before 28 weeks dropped by 90% during pandemic. It's pretty significant. 
That's crazy. So again, like this might be anecdotal. Not every hospital is showing consistent data on that point across the board, but it's something worth investigating. To me personally, I find this really interesting on a personal level because our first child, Hazel, was born a little over five weeks early and nobody ever really knew why. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things like in a movie. My water broke in the middle of the night and we were like rushed off to Mount Sinai Hospital on the Upper East Side. And that was kind of like the end of the discussion. Nobody ever really talked about why it happened. Well, yeah. When you have like a healthy baby from that entire experience, all they really thank care. Thank God. Yeah. Thank goodness. But that's all people care about. It's very ends justifies the means kind of example there. And nobody, including your OBGYN, really talks about after the fact, like, well, why did you have a premature birth this time around? Is this something biological you're going to face the second time or third time you well, have do- other children? Doesn't it pop up though when you're pregnant again or having a sex child because you well, it pops had up, a premature baby? It pops up and then they ask, well, do you know why you had the baby early the first time? And <laughs> you I'm like, was hoping you would tell me. And I'm like, oh no, haven't you ever given birth? Don't you know that once you have the baby, nobody cares about you anymore? Isn't that the truth? I mean, like- Yeah, you go home with a healthy baby. You go home with a baby that. and nobody cares about the mother anymore. Why anything happened? But that's a story for another day that I am happy to go down that rabbit hole. But so again, like, You are left, as a mother who's given birth to a premature baby, oftentimes you are left with that question, like, why did this happen? And a lot of people, frankly, I mean, not to go, again, too deep into this and get too emotional with this, but like, I was very upset by the number of people who would come to me and say, well, do you know why she was born early? In like the weeks following my first childbirthing experience in my postpartum existence of trying to become a mother. And I'm like, no, I don't know why. And the fact that you're asking me that makes it feel like it's my fault. So I really don't appreciate all of you inquiring. I think you actually do know why. I know why. Why do you think, Doug? Because she wanted to chill with us, her awesome (laughs) parents. She was like, get me out of here and let me be with my mom and dad. I guess we were just so cool. She couldn't wait. But so my point being, I take this very personally, and I frankly am like very interested in any type of research or insight as to why some women give birth prematurely and others don't when there's not a superseding biological factor. It's like very interesting to me. So in the article in the New York Times, they had mentioned that the factors might be rest, which makes complete sense to me. I mean, look, we lived in Manhattan and I was walking miles a day every day. Scaling 50 staircases down to the F train on a daily basis. Exactly. Like I was walking up four flights of steps, having to stop halfway up. I mean, like- Easy, no problem. So rest is a component. Here's another one that we touched upon earlier in this series, less exposure to other viruses. Forget about coronavirus for a second. I mean, like colds were canceled last spring. Flu season was canceled from March onward when we were all sitting at home. So less exposure to other viruses. Less germs entering your body. Less things for your body to fight off while you're trying to make it through that final stretch of pregnancy. What about less pollution? Yeah. And so less pollution, not only (laughs) nature is healing. But also like your exposure to it. I mean, you're not commuting. You're not out and about. Wait, would that be the expression? Women are going full term. Nature is healing. I guess. We are the virus. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that really falls under that current saying. But so my point being, I'm just really amused by, not amused, but I'm really intrigued by this whole thing. Really interesting that that specifically was written about in the context of now going back to when like this was something that was asked of you a lot. I think just to, if I may put a cap on this is, One, it is very interesting, but two, this will not be 
the only medical or research thing to come out of what's going on in this really unique time. I'm looking forward to seeing all this, I don't know if anecdotal is the right one, but all this secondary research secondary, to, yeah, secondary yeah. research to COVID, the things that we will discover both in the medical field and environmental fields and all of that, basically science that stems from COVID. So I think it's really cool you picked up that specific article, which obviously had a lot to do with you. I mean, I'm not a woman. I can't really comment too much. But you were there. I saw it happen. You were there. The boo-boos. I get it. So we're like really veering all over the place this week because yeah, we're, we're going just, for it. we're feeling inspired. We want to talk about whatever it is we, we might go. About. We might go long. Let me tell you this. I've gone down such a deep free Britney rabbit hole, hashtag free Britney this past month. I mean, I've always believed all of this, but I cannot get enough of the free Britney info and conspiracy, okay, if you will. You're assuming people know what you're talking about. So let me just take two seconds all right, to g- explain. Give them, give them a little... All right, so there's this storyline out there. There's this person, Britney Spears. Have you ever heard of her? Enough of you. Everyone knows who Britney Spears is, but people are under the impression that she has lost all rights to make decisions for herself. It's called, what, conservatorship, that her father and manager basically have the legal authority to make all and any decisions pertaining to her life. It's usually applied to people who are like truly mentally ill or cannot operate their lives for them. So let's take a little step back in time to- The Britney Spears concert we went to? No, before that. Okay. Let's take a little step back to when Britney, quote unquote, reached her rock bottom. Back Uh, we were in college- I think her marriage was dissolving with K-Fed. Remember K-Fed? Yeah, I was about to say his guy. You know, she had some other boyfriends, some people who are bad influences. And then one day up on Perez Hilton or something, because like, I feel like this was like pre-TMZ, Perez Hilton has showed these photos and Britney was like bald. She was like at some barbershop shaving her head. She and she was head. bashing in windshields with an umbrella. Things were getting crazy. Okay, so you had an episode. And she was taken away to a hospital in an ambulance and everybody felt like horrible about it. And we're like, oh my God, Britney is reaching her rock bottom. And that was around the time frame in which her father received the conservatorship over her estate and her affairs. It's a little backstory. Very cool. But that was years ago. I mean, that was when we were in college. So since then, Britney has gone on to, I mean, if I was really a true journalist here, I would have actually written down how many albums Britney has produced since then, and time how, out. Many, how many world tours she's been on since this point in time. I believe she also had a Vegas residency since this time that her father has gained conservatorship over her affairs. I think she still does. I'm not sure. But it's funny how you say if you're a real journalist, you would have outlined this just for our fans here. And we know we have lots of them. There's literally nothing written for this segment of the show. It literally just says free Britney. And it was just like, Heather's going to go on a tear about Britney Spears. So, okay. Why don't you wrap it up on the free Britney front? What else you got? What? You thought I was just going to say, and her father's in control of her affairs. And that's the end. I have no idea where you're bringing this one. So then just let me go. You know what I'm saying? Just let me be free. You're on the clock. Let's go. All right. So my point being, this has really gained traction because people are like, hey, How does her father still have a conservatorship over her affairs all these years later? 
if she's really so sick, why is she doing a million concerts? And she's like posting all these like crazy dance videos that are like that are super 2002 with her crop top on. And she's like 45. What's she doing? They're like, Brittany, wear yellow if you're in trouble. And then she wears yellow the next day. Let me tell you, Brittany is a prisoner. And Douglas and I saw Brittany in her circus tour years ago in Atlantic City. And all we could say to ourselves the whole time was, man, she looks so sad. This is so sad. Yeah. She really isn't. She is the animal in the circus. The circus tour is about her. Oh, the irony of it all. It was a sad performance. The only redeeming quality of that night was this up-and-coming young superstar named Nicki Minaj opening for her. Nicki Minaj was awesome. I adore her. But that's a whole other story. My point being, I actually am like all aboard the free Britney conspiracy. I really think that like- You think it's real. You think she's a prisoner. This is all very bad. She 100%. Have you ever heard Kesha talk about- what the business relationships that she got into have done to her life from both a personal and professional standpoint. I mean, I fully believe that Britney is a complete prisoner of her circumstances and everything that she does is controlled to the point that she's got no free will. I completely believe that we need to free Britney. She is an American treasure and we have stripped her of all of her liberties and it's time for somebody to make it right. Hashtag free Britney. I am all in on this. All right. So while my wife here boards a COVID flight to Las Vegas to find Britney Spears. Do I say, wait, could I be her attorney? Do I sound like I could be her attorney from this? I think. You Was that sh- a good opening argument? No. There's nothing about this that I really support. No, I- but I wish Britney Spears the absolute best. You never support me. I do. Just not with this. Speaking of supporting people, this next one is like really. Let me tee it up. You went really hard on the last topic. Free Britney. All right. You go for it, Doug. You do you. We're done with that. All right. So during quarantine, we've chosen a pod. It's our best friends. And it's kind of like what us Jews call a kibbutz. This is a... Are you going to explain what a kibbutz is? Yeah, it's communal living. It's everyone drinks milk from the same cow and makes shirts for the... It's a miniature community So we bought a cow. Yeah, we bought a cow. No, we did not. But we do buy buy Corona light seltzer and split the pack. Yeah, we we share various things like liquor. So let's not go too far down that. But Heather's best friend and my really good friend, her husband, they started... Well, she started... I'm sure my boy over here would not take claim to this. Heather's friend started an Instagram-based mask for COVID, mask chain business called Happy Chains. There's your plug. And you'd think we're literally trying to create a vaccine over there with how this has evolved. So you know how we talked about a week or two ago, we talked about having a project, right? Yeah, projects. So like not only do the Bonapartes have our own project, but we've like mentally and emotionally invested in happy chains as if I am like Barbara Corcoran on Shark Tank. We're doling out business advice like we're sharks. By the way, we have absolutely no skin in the game here other than- We are not investors in this business whatsoever. Just support. Just like we're emotionally and I think intellectually invested into your best friend's business. I'm just so excited. I'm so happy for her because it seems to be working. It's always cool to see someone who's wanted a side hustle or or wanted a business and finally got something that works. And this apparently is working. Do you you want to tell them what this is? Well, And so that's not to say that like she hasn't before because she's actually, but 
our friend Jamie is a hustler, okay? She's a hustler. She is always looking for side hustles. And if anybody respects the side hustle game, it is Douglas and I, because that is the life that we live. But like some of them, I was like, no, not that one. No, not that one. But like happy chains, the masks, the mask chains, they are so cute. It all came together. They look good. The perfect time. They look great. And this girl was meant to have an online Insta business. You should see. She is like retweeting. I'm like, yeah, retweet that. I I actually went for the first time. I mean, we've been talking (laughs) about this for weeks. I actually went for the, show you how vested interest I have in this. For the first time, I went to the Instagram page. And the first thing I said was like, oh my, I, I don't know what I was expecting. As someone who's constantly addicted to social media. She's good at this. It's good. I wish it the best. But this isn't just like a free plug for her, even though it is. But like also, we're just like so invested in it. It's like almost like our own projects were not good enough. Doug and I now need to like put time in somebody else's project. Like just earlier today, I was like, yeah, borrow some like glossy enamel. Yeah, whatever. She came over. The bigger point is here, other than being excited for someone else's business and us getting kicks out of watching it evolve. And we do hang out a lot on the weekends. I think it just goes to show, at least for me, that this is the stuff I love, even in my own practice and with my own clients. hundred percent. This is entrepreneurship. This is being able to free yourself from whatever it is you were previously doing and whether it's make supplemental income or just pour yourself into something that you'd like to do and make money. There's just all those components that, at least for me, and this is how I feel when I run my business. It's amazing. I love seeing it. I love seeing it out of friends. I love seeing it out of clients. I love doing it myself. And I think for me, that's why I'm so excited about it. I also obviously joke a lot about it and I'm writing a Harvard business case about happy chains right now or pointing out <laughs> which Harvard business cases I've read that apply to this. Hey, you got a supply chain management problem here, Jamie. It's just fun doing all that anyways. But we like love it. It's like any time that somebody, some other influencer will share a picture of the happy chain. I'm like, oh my God. So excited. It's got shared on a story with a user with 70,000 followers. Big, I know it. I get it. I know what that feels like. Very happy. Very happy change. There, that's your your final plug. This has brought us a lot of joy. Something that has nothing to do with us that's actually brought us a lot of joy is watching our friend side hustle this business. So that's just- All right. So what we've been up to the last couple of weeks. Speaking of things that bring me joy, and I think kind of vicariously through me, they also bring you joy. It's interesting how, and or rather very fitting, that we would wrap up our mini episodes with one of the things I love most other than you and the kids. What is that? Well, you know what it is. It's coffee. Of course. And for those that know, coffee is my hobby and at times a marketing tool for my business. Short story is that when I moved to New York City, I started drinking better coffee. Florida, not really. Roasting amazing beans. I'm sure it's different now. But Heather noticed that I was really enjoying coffee every day. So she got me this contraption called a Chemex. It looks like a giant laboratory beaker. She got it for the holidays years ago. And well, the rest is history. I've been home brewing, pour over coffee for years now. And I kind of consider it to be a form of meditation. It's this constant in my life. It's at a time of the day, morning, that I honestly feel like I need the most grounding. I'm not a morning person, and yeah, that pun was intended. Anyways, each time you brew a cup of coffee, for me, it's running an experiment. Literally, you're doing a laboratory experiment. Every action you take will affect the outcome, whether it's the speed at which you're pouring hot water over the coffee to the time in which you allow that coffee to bloom. Everything's connected. It's all in your control. There's no perfect, just the pursuit of it. So it's so interesting because 
Doug's love for coffee is like the antithesis of how I am in the kitchen because I love to cook. I have an intense passion for cooking. It brings me such joy, but it is such an improvisational pursuit. And making coffee is so methodical. It is so measured. I mean, more than even baking because it's not, I mean, like actually probably just like baking because some people- Baking science too. Serious bakers would say it does matter the way in which you fold the flour into the dough and I mean, that is the level of precision that goes into the coffee making that Doug makes every single day. It is so far from my expertise. And listen, I haven't been a huge fan of this whole let's learn. And we talked about this on previous episodes, the things that we do. And I admitted that I'm not a huge fan of this whole learn something new during COVID initiative that's out there. But if there's anything I can suggest that anyone tries to do, it's make yourself an amazing cup of coffee for a number of reasons. One, it's just going to be better than anything else that you've been picking up from like Starbucks or God forbid, a cup going into a Keurig machine. Or like double D's. Yeah, or any or 7-Eleven. I don't know where you're getting your coffee, but it's not going to be as good as that. But the other thing is the cost per cup of even the really good stuff, like if you're going to spend 20 bucks on a bag of beans, the cost is cheaper than anything you would get by going to like Starbucks. I actually made a calculator in case any of you want to see exactly how much you're saving. But take me on my word that if you're spending three bucks or three and change for a good cup of coffee at cafes or chains around the United States, There's a really good shot that number one, you're drinking crap. And number two, you're paying like a couple bucks premium for something you could make so much better at home. So where can people find that calculator, Douglas? You go to buythedrip.com, of course. Of course. Buythedrip.com. Go check it out. You can see how much you would save by brewing coffee at home. Look, I get that time is important and I know how convenient pushing a little button can be and trash garbage bean water flying out into your cup but for some people <laughs> i want to start my day with a cup of trash that's yeah. what i want to yeah. do you just squeeze that out into the cup it's going to be great but <laughs> yeah look some people have that every day but i would say this don't you deserve something exponentially greater than what is literally squirting out of a plastic cup <laughs> yeah it's gross how often do you get to improve Wild. something this dramatically in your everyday life i mean we're talking gains of 500 to 10,000 percent better okay i made that all up but you don't get too many cracks at improving your life this major dramatically gains is what he's major saying. gains so look am i obligating you to buy a bunch of coffee and gear and coffee-related stuff that will probably amount to hundreds of dollars in coffee stuff. Yes, Yes. absolutely I am. But I promise you that it's more than worth it if you just take 15 minutes each morning and make something special. All right. That's your final pitch for coffee, huh? That was it. I went big. (laughs) So let us just tell you this. We have had the greatest time producing these 10 mini episodes for you. I really never thought we would have so much fun doing this and how organic it would feel between the two of us. Yeah, I would say we've only had like, you guys would never know, but we probably only like argued once or twice. We've only had to press pause a couple times and scream at each other. But well, Heather, you would always say like, oh, we have to do the podcast. And I'm not saying you weren't excited to do it. I know you like doing this. But every time you would look at me, what would I say? You'd say, I love this. It's the best part of my week. It really is. This has been a ton of fun. And 
we promise you this. We're not going to stop. So, Heather, why don't you kind of explain what the next iteration of We Should Be Sleeping is? Because we're probably going to come back in just a little bit of time here. Right. So, if you recall at the beginning, and as you hear in our introduction every single episode, I mean, the goal of this podcast is to bring you people who have done it differently, people who are trying to find success in ways that are unconventional and really look the way that our millennial generation looks, which is not a straight line all the time. It is scrappy. It is people who don't sleep the way that we don't and make it happen in the middle of the night. That is what we want this to do for you. That is the kind of dialogue and discourse that we have always intended to bring. So at the beginning, we said to ourselves, well, we're ready to start a podcast, but what about this pandemic? We had not felt at the beginning of this that it was appropriate to really knock on you know, people's doors yeah, and say, hey, take time out of your busy schedule. We say, hey, hey, we know you're trying to pivot your company and create business continuity plans and keep your life afloat with your families and loved ones. But would you like to do this podcast? <laughs> do you have next Tuesday available? At night. And I'll be honest with you. I think at the beginning we thought, well, we'll just have to, we could pause for a little bit and things will look better in a couple weeks. Here we are five and a half months into this pandemic or however long it has been. And I don't really foresee us going back to what was once considered normal for a very long time, if ever. So Doug and I looked at each other and we said, look, we are going to have done 10 of these mini apps. It's time to start calling upon some of the people that we really think our listeners would like to hear from. Yeah, we don't really think COVID's like an excuse to not move forward with this plan. Some of the folks we have in mind I hope, have now also had opportunities to pivot their businesses in ways that I believe will also be beneficial to our listeners to even hear about the experience they've had the last couple of months and the struggles that they've had and the successes that they've had. So we really look forward to bringing that to you. So our plan is to take a little hiatus, start getting that scheduled together, and then we will hopefully have some of this to you in the fall. Can't say it better than that. Give us a little bit of your time and patience. Again, thank you to literally thousands of people. Who knew? I was hoping maybe five people would listen to this, but pleasantly surprised to see that there's a small little audience and following here. Can't thank you all enough for tuning in to hear the two of us blab on, but we'll be back. We'll have some great guests when we return. And thanks again. Try and get some rest, okay? Bye, guys. Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping. Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at weshouldbesleeping.com. We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping. We should be sleeping.